You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. When I was in college, there was a group of my friends that went to the church that I went to in college who would regularly go out to eat on Sundays after church. Um, they would, I always enjoyed the opportunities whenever I was able to go with them um, because I got to extend the fellowship of Sunday morning, which was joyful, and it was also my one time during the week where I got to eat somewhere other than the dining hall on campus. So that was wonderful as well. Um, and there is a long history, a long tradition of after Sunday meals in the South, of churches going out and dining together. There are places in the South where there are congregations that race to see who can get to the local buffet first, um, where it's, it's a bit of a competition to see who doesn't have to stand in line. Um, and one of the things I didn't realize when I was growing up is that that tradition goes all the way back to the time of Jesus, that it is actually rooted in the scripture to have after Sunday, after worship, lunch together. Because here in Luke chapter 14, where we are this morning, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's sharing a Sabbath meal at the house of one of the Pharisees. And very likely, in the tradition of the time, the Sabbath meal was usually held at the sixth hour, meaning it was held at noon. So this is the midday meal, and it would have been after there was worship that morning in the synagogue. They would come and then gather around um, in somebody's home, not in a restaurant. And of course, the food would have been prepared the day beforehand so that it didn't break Sabbath law in the preparation of it. But there they are, gathered around a meal. And it was customary, and it was considered good hospitality to invite a traveling teacher, a traveling rabbi who might have taught that morning or have been present there um, at the worship, to come and join a meal. And that's exactly what's happening. This is one of the leaders in the local area has invited Jesus to join them for his Sabbath meal. And when they come in, everybody has their eyes on Jesus, because this is not just any itinerant teacher. This is not just any teacher. This is the one whose reputation has gone ahead of him as somebody who has been saying and doing strange things. And in fact, one of the perhaps things that he has been most scrutinized for is the way that he keeps Sabbath. Now, obviously, he would have been considered kosher. He was keeping the laws well enough that they knew they could associate with him and invite him into the room. But there has still been this conflict he's come in about the interpretation of the Old Testament law and what that meant for Sabbath keeping. And so as he comes in, they're watching him because they also know that they've invited a man who had edema. We skipped over this in our reading, but I think it's important because it actually kind of sets the stage for the conversations that follow. So there's this man who has some sort of swelling gathered uh, from fluid gathering in his limbs or different places, and Jesus looks at the crowd that is gathered and says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they're silent. They don't say anything at all. And then Jesus heals the man. And he says, which of you would not have, if your ox or your child fell into a well on the Sabbath, which one of you would not reach in and lift him out? And they don't say anything again. They're silent. And then as things settle down from perhaps this display where they've all been watching Jesus, Jesus begins to watch them. 
He's doing some people watching here as they sit down and gather around the meal. And what he sees is that everybody who's coming into the house of this particular Pharisee is jockeying for position at the table. They're trying to get the seat of greatest honor, which would have been the seat nearest to the host is where you'd look for the greatest honor. And they're all kind of trying to maneuver and figure out where their position is. And Jesus is watching this display and he sees an opportunity to teach them something about the kingdom of God, to teach them something about the ordering of the world, about human pride and folly. To understand what he teaches, we actually need to know something about the way that honor and shame cultures worked, work, and they continue to work. There are places in the world that are a bit more of a guilt orientation when you're talking about moral decisions, where the primary question of whether or not an action is right is essentially, is it justified? Did I do the right thing? Do I feel good about what I did? Do I have a pang in my conscience? Is it fair? There's this question of justice when I'm taking a particular action. And there are other places where the primary orientation is one of honor and shame, where the question is not how do I feel about the action that I have taken, it is how does my community feel about the action that I have taken. Is the action that I have taken lift up and elevate my status and therefore the status of my family and my friends and those with whom I'm gathered, or does the action that I am taking somehow mar, does it, does it bring down judgment from the community in a way that I lose face, I lose um, my ability to, to have social standing. And that actually isn't just a, do I feel good or embarrassed about it? That is actually what determines whether the action is right. So in a culture that is primarily honor and shame, if you do something that makes your family perhaps be talked poorly of, whether or not it was you know, an objectively right action, the question comes down to that in itself is bad. I have an example from when I was a kid about trying to understand something between the orientation of guilt versus an orientation of honor and shame. There was uh, at my school, my elementary school that I went to, they did a field day once a year um, where we'd all go out and play. Now I had a school that had a dress code. I was supposed to wear collared shirts and I was supposed to wear uh, appropriate pants and belt when I went to school. And, but on field day, you got the dress however you wanted because you were going to go out and just play. So there's this day that I'm supposed to go to field day, and it looks like it might rain. And I didn't have a smartphone at that point where I could go look up the percent chance of rain throughout the day. I was like, you know what, maybe it'll clear up. So I'm going to dress for field day. And I went to school, and I was like the only one in the whole school that was dressed for field day. Everyone else figured out that it had been canceled because of rain, except for me. Now, I didn't get into trouble for this. They understood that it was just an honest mistake. There was no guilt given to me for being wrong, but I was ashamed. We had these concrete tubes that someone had given like from a construction company that were on our playground. And during recess, I went and huddled in one of them and just hid so that I wouldn't be seen. It's a trivial example in many ways, but the question that I had in my mind, and the question that many people of school age have in their minds, and honestly a question that still many of us ask is, did I lose some sort of face by this? Was I embarrassed by this? Did I lose some sort of standing? And I felt shame, and therefore I felt like my action was wrong. It wasn't just that I was embarrassed, I felt like I had done the wrong thing. I should have known better. That is what it feels like to enter into an orientation of shame where your actions are judged by your social standing and what they do for you in the public eye. 
And this gives new eyes to what happened when Jesus came into the room where they're questioning and watching him and his orientation about is he going to heal on the Sabbath. This is one of the things that happened very often as Jesus goes about his ministry and he's present with the Pharisees in particular. Their encounters are not just a sort of who's wittier, who can come out on top. There are these public encounters that determine whether somebody gains honor or shame. So when Jesus asks this question, they're afraid to answer him about whether or not they should heal on the Sabbath because if they answer wrong and the rabbi that is here somehow shows that they had a wrong interpretation of Torah, they're going to lose face. They're going to be ashamed. And in these encounters over and over again, this is something that happens. The question is honor and shame. And there's places where Jesus, of course, always seems to come out on top in these encounters where the way he knows the scripture, his deep understanding, leads to this elevation of honor in the public eye. But then the same thing that's happening here in this challenge of whether or not he's going to heal a man is then taking place in a different way when people are trying to seat themselves around the table. Because if they can get a place of honor, it elevates them in the eyes of others. It does good for them and their family. And so they're seeing it as right and good to try to get a place of honor. Because if you can get a place of honor, that is actually showing that you are justified in your actions. It's, it's lifting up your family and those around you. And so Jesus looks at this and sees this going on and he says you're thinking about this wrong not in the sense that they shouldn't be thinking about honor and shame he doesn't tell them or condemn them for thinking about honor and shame he says you've got the wrong idea about where honor and shame is coming from so he tells a parable about if you're invited to a wedding feast don't go and try to take the place of highest honor. Instead, go sit in the lowest place. Because then the host, if you actually have more honor, the host is going to have to come and say, hey, friend, you should move up closer to me. You should come closer to the host, closer to the main table. And everyone around you is going to see that. Whereas if you sit in too high of a spot, if you guess wrong about your position, and they have to come tell you, hey, move down the line. That's a horrible loss of face. That's shameful. And the question that I have is, what's going on in this passage? Because what this sounds like primarily, at least at first glance, is that this is just kind of yeah, how to get ahead in the world. It's like an equivalent of a first century self-help book of how to win friends and influence people, how to get honor and not be ashamed, and it's to sort of be humble in a way that's almost manipulative, that you're going to be able to step in, and if I act humble, then somebody else is going to raise me up, and then I will look better in the eyes of everyone. Humility is good. Our reading from, that, uh, from Ecclesiasticus this morning reminds us of the folly of human pride. Humility is good, but that is not solely the intent of what Jesus is teaching. And what he is teaching becomes clear as he continues to teach, because this is actually the first of three stories he tells about sitting around a feast, about sitting around a dinner at a banquet and coming to the banquet, and how, what happens when you come to the banquet. The second one we heard as part of our reading as well. The second story was about when you give a lunch, when you looking and turning to his host, he's speaking, when you give a dinner and you invite people over to your house, don't invite your brothers and your friends and your family. Don't invite the rich or those who could repay you. 
Don't invite those who would give you honor by association with them. Don't invite those to whom you think you have this social obligation to, ha to have honor with them. Instead, invite the lame and the crippled and the poor. Those who cannot in any way repay you. Those who by association will make people talk badly about you. Those whom Jesus went and dined with when people muttered, he eats with sinners. And it's a question of he's, he's shaming himself to eat with sinners. How could he associate with them, invite them? Because yes, they can't give you honor right now, but in the end, when God judges things, he will repay you for what they were not able to give. And he will repay you by giving you honor when others would not be able to do so. The point here is that honor comes from the way that you are seen in God's eyes, from following his laws, from how close you are to him as the host. And so we don't need to seek out and raise up and try to get honor for ourselves here and now because honor comes, will be given and bestowed upon those who are justified in the last day. This was the very promise that was given to Abraham when he set out. God said, I will make your name great. And of course, as he walked upon the earth, he didn't get all of that promise fulfilled. He received honor in his life, but the true honor will come at the end of time when he is justified before God, when he is raised up and seated at the, uh, at the banquet table of the Lord. This reads, helps us go back and read the first story differently too. Because I think what Jesus is giving is good advice about how practicing humility can actually lead to a greater sense of honor in the community. But I think at the core of what he is teaching is actually beginning to point forward to the banquet of heaven, to God's table. That when you're gathered around that table, what the honor comes from the host the honor comes from God himself raising you up and saying, you belong at my table. This is where you shall come. And this is the question that is, he's actually teaching the people that are there with him, is you need to be thinking about honor for the long term, not grabbing it now according to your social obligations, but grabbing honor by being associated with God, by following him, by doing what is right. And you can't get that for yourself. This is the point of the heart of the gospel in all cultures, whether we are talking about honor and shame or we are talking about a guilt-based culture, is that the only way that you can receive what you need is by grace, by a free gift. You can't do it by associating with the right people, by going to the right church, by being around the right people, by having the right friends. That doesn't earn you merit in any way. It doesn't give you honor at the end. Instead, the honor comes from the host. The honor comes from Jesus himself who invites us to his table and therefore by inviting us to his table bestows honor upon us. You cannot get honor by 
doing what is by jockeying for position, by trying to sort of move yourself ahead and put other people down. You can't sort of raise yourself up in the eyes of others and somehow fool God into thinking that you're worthy. You can't be a pastor and stand in front of people and therefore have honor in the community and think that that means anything at all about God's judgment on the last day. You can't be a fine, upstanding member of your community and think that that is somehow going to make you worthy to enter the kingdom of heaven at the last day. Honor is freely given by the invitation of God. It's a gospel of grace and grace alone. And that's probably the most clear when we get to the third parable of the banquet that Jesus told at the same sitting, which we did not read today. But the third parable that he tells says of a man who is going to have a great dinner. And so he invited all of his friends and relatives and his family. He invited people who you would expect to be invited to the table. And they came back and all of them had an excuse. The first one said, I just bought some land and I've got to go out and check it out. Make sure that it's all, it's all good, that the deal was solid, that I've, I need to go check what I've got. And he says, I'm sorry, I can't come. The second one says, I just bought five yoke of oxen. He's very wealthy and rich. He's got money. He has perhaps honor that he thinks that he has for himself. And he says, I, I'm going to pass on the dinner this time. I'm going to go check on this big purchase that I just made. The third person says, I just got married. I've got social obligations to my wife and to my family. I can't avoid those. And so I send my regrets. I can't come. All of them have good excuses by the, by the judgment of the world. All of them are in positions of honor in their wealth, in their land, in, in the social um, connections that they have. But the parable goes on, and the man in the banquet says, fine, if they're not going to come, I'm still going to have a full house for my dinner. So invite the crippled and the lame. Invite those who have no honor of their own to come and sit at my table. And the servant goes out and does that and says, Sir, there's still room. So he says, go out to the roads. Grab everybody who comes along and compel them to come in to my banquet. Bring them in. And Jesus turns to the crowd, and this is hard to, to catch in English sometimes. At the end of this parable, the voice shifts, and he's no longer speaking from the man who set the banquet, the man who offered the banquet. He's speaking to the crowd, because he says, for I tell you, and the you there is plural, where he's now speaking to the crowd as himself. He said, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. He is looking to that banquet at the end of days, the heavenly banquet around at the kingdom of God. And he says, I am the host. And the offer has been freely given to you. And if you reject it, you won't be there. The only way you can be at the table is by accepting the offer. The only way you can be at the table is by grace alone. That's it. No matter how you, who you associate with, 
no matter how much you give, no matter how much great others think you are, no matter how wealthy you are, the only judgment that really matters in the end is God's judgment. It's a gospel of grace. The good news is that the offer is freely given. It's extended. Whether you are someone in a high position or someone who is lowly, the offer is given. And what will you do with it? Of course, we're faced with this when we have the the question of whether or not we are going to accept the gospel for the first time whether we are going to follow after Jesus. The question is, will we, are we willing to trade the honor of this world for God, the honor given by God in the next? Are we willing to follow and walk according to his ways instead of being concerned about what others think about us? If we actually go back to the book of Ecclesiasticus that we just read our reading from, section, the the verses that begin immediately after our reading in that particular book deal with honor, and it says this, whose offspring are worthy of honor? Human offspring. Whose offspring are worthy of honor? Those who fear the Lord. Whose offspring are unworthy of honor? Human offspring. Whose offspring are unworthy of honor? Those who break the commandments. Among family members, their leader is worthy of honor, but those who fear the Lord are worthy of honor in his eyes. The rich and the eminent and the poor, their glory is the fear of the Lord. It is not right to despise one who is intelligent but poor, and it is not proper to honor one who is sinful. The prince and the judge and the ruler are honored, but none of them is greater than the one who fears the Lord. the restructuring of the way we think about our place in society by saying from the very beginning, how do I stand with God? How close am I to the host? Not just in the sense of guilt, but in the sense of drawing near, of being raised up because he is the one who can give us honor. And there is freedom in this. There is freedom when we understand that our honor comes from the Lord. Not freedom to do whatever we want, as if somehow that is anything resembling true freedom. The freedom is that we no longer have to be concerned about the judgment of others upon us. We walk freely and follow after God's commandments, and we, if we do so, we understand that whether or not the world looks at us as those who have honor, we have honor in the eyes of God. Jesus who was talked about for his association with sinners, Jesus, who led to a shameful death on a cross. This is one of the reasons why the public execution at the cross is such a big deal for so many cultures, is it's not just whether Jesus was guilty or innocent. We can look at it and go, well, maybe the trial was a sham, and Jesus was really innocent of what he he was judged for, but he had shame brought upon him. He was publicly flogged. He was told that he was a breaker of the law. And the judgment was passed down. He died a shameful death on a cross. 
But God lifted him up and gave him glory and honor, a name above every name, so that at the end all shall kneel and bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is given honor because he followed faithfully after God, an eternal honor and eternal glory. This is part of why the Bible talks about glorifying God so much is because it's looking at it partly through the lens of honor and that we are ascribing honor and glory to God because he is worthy and deserves it. And we, if we follow faithfully, will receive honor and glory by our association with him in the last days. But the only way we can receive that is by grace. You can't earn honor for yourself. You can't grab honor by those whom you associate with. You can't somehow lift yourself up. And we all fall into this trap over and over again where we start to think, I've got to just get things where I look right. We do this in our coming to God where we think, I've got to sort of take care of that sin in my heart before I go to pray. I've got to clean myself up before I can spend time with God. I've got to somehow make things better for myself before I can go and be in his presence because I'm not worthy right now. And the gospel of grace says, no, you go to him because it's a free gift. You receive his absolution. You come to him with repentance, bringing all of you, including those shameful parts of you, but you know that it is because you draw near to the host, because you draw near to God himself, that is how you receive honor in the end. We worry about what others will think of us when we are concerned about sharing the gospel, telling others about the good news of Jesus. We're worried that we might lose face, that they might think poorly of us and reject us. But it doesn't matter, tell the truth. If they reject you for the name of Jesus, so much more to your credit. Carry the word forth, because the honor comes from the one, from the host, from the one who judges us at the end. We look at who we associate with and wonder what it does for our reputation. but it doesn't matter. Honor comes from the host. And God has built up for himself a new family. We have a new connection of those who know the host, those who know Jesus, those who know God himself. And we are gathered together into a community that right now, at times, may be despised. That's a great concern for many in our country the church is looked down upon and despised. If we do so for following faithfully after Jesus, then it doesn't matter. We're a community formed in his name and he will lift us up. So cling to the gospel of grace. Not only for your sense of guilt, but for your honor. And the promise that is given over and over is that you will be glorified. You will be lifted up. You will have a seat at the table. Jesus himself, the host, will come and say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
And there is no greater honor than that. Live for that honor above all others. And as we come and gather around the table here this morning in just a moment, remember that you do so by the gift of grace, that you do so by his invitation. We come from no other, nothing that we have earned on our own. We come because Jesus has invited us to the table. We receive in this feast that gift of grace and the honor that he gives to us. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.